0: And turn tonight to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. And here we have another Psalm of David. And in this Psalm, David is remembering the faithfulness and the goodness of God towards him in the past. And he is stirring himself up to greater gratitude. Uh, Psalm 138 is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's also a psalm of confidence. For David knows that the God who has proven himself faithful in the past will surely continue to care for him in the future. It's a shorter psalm, and so we're going to read all eight verses. But our key verse tonight will be verse 5 and particularly the second part of verse 5. So let's read beginning in Psalm 138 in verse 1. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks toward your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Well, so far in this series, we've had two major points that we've been discovering together. The first point was that it is good for us to think about the person and the works of our God. That was the first point, and we spent two sermons on, on that point, how good it is for us to think about the person and the works of our God. And then the second point that we've seen is that our God is unsearchably great. He is massive and he is massively wonderful. And it will take all eternity for us to see and to savor the goodness of our God. Well, tonight we come to our third main point, and it is central to everything else that we're going to talk about. It's the reason that this sermon series is entitled God of Glory. Uh, Our main truth tonight is that this massive God of ours is Glorious, He is greatly glorious. He is supremely glorious. Psalm 138, verse 5, second half of the verse, great is the glory of the Lord. Now, when we talk about glory, we need to know that we're talking about a relative thing. Uh, Everything has a degree of glory because everything was created by God and everything expresses something of God. But not all things are equally glorious. Uh, A tree, I would suggest, has more glory than a pebble. I would suggest that a dog has more glory than a tree and a baby more than a dog. There are degrees of glory but God is most glorious of all. And my desire is that you would know this not only in your head, but that you would know this in your heart. My desire is that this would not just be a fact that you would intellectually agree with, but that this would be a truth that you know and know from your own experience. You have tasted and seen that God is good. God is most glorious of all. I love talking about the Grand Canyon. I've only seen it once. I was 18, but it blew me away. Well, God is far more glorious than the Grand Canyon. He is more glorious than supernovas. He is more glorious than angels. Indeed, if we could take all of the glory of all things in the universe and combine them together, God is still more glorious than they. He is supremely glorious. Another way to think about it, As the sun outshines the moon, so God outshines all else. And just as the glory of the moon is actually the glory of the sun reflected, so all the glory in this world is actually the glory of God being reflected in smaller things. So the glory of marriage, the sweetness that a husband and wife experience in that relationship is a wonderful kind of glory. When in the marriage relationship there is joy and companionship, this, is, this can be an awesome experience. There is glory there, but even that is a reflected glory. It ultimately comes from God and speaks to us about Him because He is the truest friend and the dearest companion and the true lover of our souls. So this is how it is with everything in the created world. All glory is really God's glory. And the particular glory of any particular thing does not compare with the total sum glory of all that is God himself. Now, why is this important for us to talk about, to think about, and to grasp? Let me give you four reasons that we need to know and believe Psalm 138, verse 5. Great is the glory of the Lord. First, we need to know this because all people were created to behold the glory of God. Uh, This is exactly what we said this morning. We're just saying it in a little different way. You were created for God. You were created to be a beholder, one who sees and experiences God's glory and responds in eternal worship. Your life is not an accident. You were designed, and you were designed for this, to find your eternal joy in experiencing and celebrating the glory of God. But second, verse 5 is important because acknowledging God's glory is essential to salvation. It is essential to salvation, to know that God is glorious. At, At very bottom, what does it mean to be a Christian? What makes a person truly saved? To be a Christian is to have been brought from darkness into light. It it means that you were once blind to God's glory. You once treated God's glory as something small. But now in Jesus Christ, you've seen the glory of God and it has won your heart. You probably know the text that I'm going to go to. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So what are unbelievers? Unbelievers are people who are blind To the good news of the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of God in the face of Christ. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Here's what makes us Christians. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. The knowledge of what? What is it that we've come to know as Christians? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says, at bottom, here is what makes a Christian a Christian. We have now come to see something of the glory of God. According to that passage, here is what God has done for the saved person He has shone in our hearts. So he's, he's turned on the lights. And that light has caused us to have knowledge. And that knowledge is of his glory in the face of Christ. It's the glory of his mercy, the glory of his grace, the glory of his power, the glory of his justice. We've tasted and seen something of God's goodness. And that's absolutely essential to what it means to be a saved person. Well, third, verse 5 is important to know because the treasuring of God's glory is essential to Christian living. It is essential to Christian living. Where do we find the power to resist temptation? Where do we find the desire to be in our Bibles and on our knees? What keeps us coming back to church? What drives us to witness to our friends or to support world missions? In other words, what is the fuel of the Christian life? What keeps us doing the good works that we ought to be doing as believers? Is it not this very thing that we have come to treasure the very glory of God? That we are finding our delight and our peace and our security in God? We resist temptation because sin would hinder our ability to enjoy God. We we stay in the word and we stay on our knees and we keep coming to church that we might further and deepen our experience of knowing God. We witness and we care about world missions because we want others to be brought into this amazing experience that we are now in. We want others to know God. You would not be passionate about those things if God was not valuable to you. If the God that you have discovered, or maybe better, if the God who brought you into his own love was a God that, eh, not so great, you wouldn't care about sharing. But it's the fact that you see and that you know that he is God and that he keeps his promises and that he's abundant in mercy. These are the things that give you the the impetus to want to tell others about him. So treasuring the glory of God is essential to Christian living. It is the fuel of Christian living. And then finally, fourth, verse 5 is important to us because the anticipation of God's glory is the hope of God's people. The anticipation of God's glory is the hope of God's people. Where are we headed (laughs) What is it that we're looking forward to? Our eager expectation is that expressed in Psalm 17, 15. As for me, talking about when he dies, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. What is our hope as Christians? Our hope as Christians, and by hope I don't mean a wish, I mean a promise of God that is guaranteed What we are looking forward to as Christians is that when this life is over, we will open our eyes in the next life and we will behold the face of God and experience glory like we've never experienced it before. Now, what is God's glory? What am I even talking about? Well, put very simply, and theologians have, have given all kinds of definitions for the glory of God over, over the centuries, but, but put very simply, God's glory is the greatness and beauty of his character. It is the greatness and the beauty of his character. So God's glory is not an attribute alongside the others. Right? Well, he is loving and he is merciful and he is just and he is glorious. It's not just another attribute to put beside the others. Rather, it is a, a sum attribute. It is an attribute that describes all of the other attributes individually and, and corporately. So God's love is a glorious love, and his wisdom is a glorious wisdom, and his might is a glorious might. And when these attributes are seen together in the one, harmoniously complementing one another in God, it's as if infinite glory comes together with infinite glory. So that David says, great is the glory of the Lord. Now, how has God revealed to us that he is supremely glorious? How do we know and how do we see that God is supremely glorious? Glorious. Well, certainly God has shown his glory through the handiwork of creation. Creation. So we we could devote this entire sermon just to talking about the ways that God has revealed his glory in created things. If you want to see something stunning, go home and Google some of the photos taken by the Hubble telescope from the far reaches of space. Have you ever seen pictures of the Crab Nebula? It's astounding. You're like, really? That's out there? It's amazing. Look at what is nicknamed the Fireworks Galaxy. And it's called the Fireworks Galaxy because there are no fewer than eight supernova that are currently exploding within it. And so when you look at it, it's as if fireworks are going off. Or check out images of the canyon of fire in our own sun. Um, A couple of years ago, there was a 200,000-mile eruption of magnetic filament in our sun. And the result is that now our own sun has a bright red canyon that extends for about 200,000 miles on its surface. The pictures are very, very cool to look at. Friends, the whole reason that outer space exists and stretches for billions of light years is to preach to us every night when we look at the sky that our God is glorious and that there is no one more creative than him and there is no one that can paint a picture the way he can paint a picture. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2. And of course, we don't just have to look up at the sky. We can just look around. Because everything speaks to us of the glory of God. But another way in which God has caused us to know that he is supremely glorious is that he has given special glimpses of his glory to actual human beings in human history. He has given special glimpses of his glory to actual human beings in human history. So I'm not talking here now about the glory of God in creation, but something a bit more intense than that. There have been times when God pulled back the curtain and actually allowed human beings to see a tiny glimpse of the glory of his person in a way that was wholly unique. For example, we talked this morning about Moses and how he caught that glimpse of God. And remember, he only caught what the Bible calls God's backside. And it was just a momentary thing where he saw this moment of a little glimpse of a portion of the glory of God. And yet, when he came down the mountain, he had to wear a veil over his face so that others could look at him. Now, if I were to go outside on a bright, sunny day and look up at the sunshine, and to just take it all in, one, it would be dangerous for my eyesight, but if I just stared at the sun for a while, would I then be able to walk around and my face would shine so brilliantly that you wouldn't be able to look at me without sunglasses on? But this is what happened with Moses. He caught just a glimpse, momentary glimpse, of a portion of the glory of God's backside. So this is like a little fraction of a fraction of a fraction of God's glory. And it was such an experience that when he came down the mountain in our day, the people would have had to have worn sunglasses just to be able to look at Moses. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus revealed to Peter and to James and to John a glimpse of his glory as the Son of God. And we're told that in that moment, his face shone like the sun, And his clothes became white as light. White as light. So God has given real human beings in space and time special glimpses of his special glory. But there is another way that God has revealed his glory to us. It's in the pages of the Bible itself. In the pages of the Bible itself. Even more than in creation And even more than in those brilliant revelations given to that special few, Moses, Peter, James, and John, we have God's glory unveiled for us in the pages of the Bible. In the Bible, we go further into God's glory, discovering the glory of God's grace, the riches of his mercy, in a way that would not have been able to be known just by looking at the planets, or even just by seeing bright light. Apart from in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, you will not find the glory of God more clearly revealed than in the pages of the Bible. And in passage, after God-breathed passage, we find the glory of God set before us as something greatly to be desired. And so this is why you have outlines tonight, because I'm going to tick off a lot of these. Are you ready? Fifteen different points about how the greatness of God's glory is seen in the various passages of the Bible. And my point here is just to emphasize tonight how supremely glorious our God is as revealed in the Bible. Here we go. Number one, the greatness of God's glory is seen in that some of the most miraculous and awe-inspiring acts of God in Scripture are recorded for us as expressions of his glory. Some of the most miraculous and awe-inspiring acts of God in Scripture are recorded for us as expressions of his glory. So we finished our study of Exodus 1 through 15, and we saw the Red Sea split open by God, and we saw God's people walk across dry land while the waters stood like a wall on each side of them. And then they get to the other side. The waters come down on the Egyptians. Israel is saved, and Moses says this, "'Who is like you, O Lord?' Among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Moses says, that amazing thing we just beheld, that was an expression of the glory of God. Number two, the greatness of God's glory is seen in that fire is often used as a visible expression of God's glory. Fire is is often used as a visible expression of God's glory. So think about fire. Think about its light. Think about its heat. Think about the power of fire and how intense it can be and its ability to overtake and overwhelm everything around it. There were a billion possibilities that God could have used to be a picture of his glory. But the one the Bible seems to use most often is this picture of fire. Think about the burning bush where there's the pillar of fire. And then the people of Israel gather at Mount Sinai and God's presence comes to Mount Sinai. And we read in Exodus 24, verse 17, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So the glory of the Lord came to Mount Sinai. What did that look like? It looked like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. There's a reason that the people said to Moses, we will not get any closer. You go talk to him. Light, light is also used regularly. Exodus 128 speaks of God's glory as the appearance of brightness all around. And how bright was it? Ezekiel says, when I saw it, I fell on my face. Each Christmas, we read that an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds. And we read that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And then we read, they were filled with fear. And we usually point out the angel part of that, right? That this angel is speaking to them, and so that caused fear, and certainly that was a part of it. If an angel spoke to me, I would be afraid too. Angels cause fear. But actually, immediately in the text, it seems to be more the fact that it was the glory of the Lord shining around them that caused them to be afraid. The very glory of the Lord, bright and brilliant, resplendent and piercing, shining upon them. Number three. The greatness of God's glory is seen in how earnestly Moses desired to see it. And how earnestly Moses desired to see it. So Moses is up on the mountain, and he's speaking with God in Exodus 33. And Moses basically tells God that if his presence will not go with Israel, there is no reason for Israel to go anywhere. What will the promised land be if God does not go with them? It is in God's presence, in his glory, that that things are truly good. And then in the midst of this discussion with God, Moses suddenly lets out this passionate plea. Please, show me your glory. It was what Moses wanted more than anything else. And I would suggest that it should be what we want more than anything else. And that the constant cry of our heart should be, Please, Lord. Show me your glory. Number four, the greatness of God's glory is seen in that when it filled the tabernacle and later the temple, no one could enter. The, the intensity of God's glory was such that none could enter into it when it came as a cloud upon the tabernacle and the temple. Number five, the greatness of God's glory is seen. And that it is regularly placed alongside God's power, alongside God's power. So so what words can we use to describe the power of God? Well, the strength and the might of God is infinite. Nothing is impossible for God. God's, God's might, God's power is is we have no words to describe it. So it says something when the Bible places the glory of God right beside his power as it seems to do again and again and again. I'm going to give you just two examples. First Chronicles 29.11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. Or Second Thessalonians 1.9 They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Number six the greatness of God's glory is seen in that God is called the king of glory. The king of glory. So everything has a degree of glory, but God is the king of glory. You know the passage Psalm 24, 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah, Yahweh, strong and mighty. Jehovah, Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? Jehovah, Yahweh of hosts, he is the king of glory. Number seven, the greatness of God's glory is seen in that it is presented to us as something to speak about all the day long. What kinds of things are worthy of us talking about them all day long? We typically only do that when there is something big to talk about, right? When we have some big news, when, when something major has happened, we might speak about it all day long. We talk about it with our family in the morning. We talk about it with folks at work. We talk about it in the evening before we go to bed. It's big. We talk about it all day long. Well, God's glory is presented to us in the Bible as something to talk about all day long. The psalmist says, Psalm 71, verse 8, My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Number eight. The greatness of God's glory is seen in that all the kings of the earth, with all their glory, will one day stand in fear of the glory of God. The greatness of God's glory is seen in that one day all the kings of the earth Will stand in fear of the glory of God. So we see the greatness of God here by comparison. So take the glory of the British monarchy, or even the glory of Napoleon, or the glory that King Solomon had when he ruled over Israel. Take the glory of the US presidency. At the end of the day, those who held these most glorious positions in the world will stand in fear of one whose glory far surpasses theirs. So you might tremble to stand in the presence of some human king. You might tremble to stand before the dreadful sovereigns of this world. But there will be a day when the most powerful men and women who ever lived will tremble to stand in the presence of the king of kings. Psalm 102 verse 15 is just one example. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. Number nine. The greatness of God's glory is seen in that his glory is eternal as opposed to all other glories. His glory is eternal The borrowed glory that other things have in this world won't last. But God's glory lasts. So Psalm 49, 16 and 17. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. So no matter how glorious we may be in this life, no matter how the, this world may laud us and say we've made it our glory will not go with us after death First Peter 1 all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever so the glory of a rich man dies with him on the day of judgment God's not going to show any partiality because that person was wealthy in this life and the glory of all flesh is like the flower of grass which withers and falls. But what about God's glory? First Peter 4:11, "To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever." Amen." Or, and I love this verse, First Peter 5, verse 10. listen to this, "And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We could preach ten sermons on that little phrase. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. What is God's plan for you? What does God have in store for his children? He has called us to this, eternal glory in Christ. This is what we were saved for, to see and savor and experience, even to take part in God's eternal glory in Christ. And the point is, that's eternal glory. It never fades. It never withers away. It will be forever. Number 10. The greatness of God's glory is seen in that desiring anything else above it is wicked. To desire anything else above God's glory is wicked. We'll see this a little more clearly in a later sermon, but let's just talk for a moment about it here. What is sin at its root? Sin at its very root is trading the glory of God for anything else. It is to prefer anything above God's glory. And so when Paul explains the great fall of the human race, he explains it this way in Romans: 123. He says, "They, talking about humankind, they have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images." Sin is an exchange in which we trade that which is most valuable of all for something less valuable. And it's not just foolish, it's criminal. Number 11. Number 11. The greatness of God's glory is seen in that it is a source of great joy for God's people. The glory of our God is a source of great joy for God's people. Psalm 149, verse 5. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. This is what godly people do. They exult in glory. They rejoice in the glory of their God. You still with me? We're digging through pretty well? All right. Number 12. The greatness of God's glory is seen in that it is compared to the sun. It is compared to the sun. And frankly, there is nothing more glorious in our everyday lives than the one star that sits at the center of our solar system. The sun is the source of all of our light and all of our our heat. The sun is the source of all life on this planet. Everything in this world, our world, depends upon the sun. And the sun in the Bible is a picture of the glory of God. Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2, we quote this a lot around Christmas time. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Or the Bible describing for us that world which is to come. The heavenly Jerusalem, the great city, tells us in Revelation twenty-one twenty-three that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. The glory of God is its light and its lamp is the Lamb. Number 13. The greatness of God's glory is seen in that it is set before us as the hope which brings us joy. It is set before us as the hope which brings us joy. So God's glory is the great hope that is set before us. We believe as Christians that one day we will see and experience God's glory in a way that we never have before, and that is our source of joy, not just in the future, but knowing that that day is coming is our source of joy now in this life. Romans 5, verse 2. Through him, talking about Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Another sermon right there. Parse that out, right? We rejoice in hope, our eager expectation of the glory of God. But he doesn't say we will rejoice. He says right now we stand in this grace and we are rejoicing. We we live in joy. We rejoice in what? In our anticipation, our hope of the glory of God. Number 14. The greatness of God's glory is seen in that God is said to be rich in his glory. God is said to be rich in his glory. Our God is not poor in glory. He is rich in glory. Ephesians 3.16 tells us that it speaks of the riches of his glory. In a verse you probably know well, Philippians 4.19, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that our God is rich in glory and therefore he supplies all of our needs in Christ Jesus? Finally, number 15, the greatness of God's glory is seen in that all of our sufferings do not compare to his glory. In Mount Hermon, our sufferings can be great, can't they? The suffering of God's people on earth can be intense. And some of our brothers and sisters in Christ have experienced a degree of suffering outwardly and inwardly that would stagger many of us in this room. But however great our suffering may be in this life, it does not even compare to the greatness of God's glory. You know the verse, Romans 8, 18, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So the greatness of God's glory is revealed in creation. It has been revealed through special glimpses given to a precious few in the pages of the Bible. And especially God's glory is revealed to us in the pages of the Bible as the most precious, valuable thing of all. And now I have to add this. And we're not going to unpack it tonight. We're going to unpack it later we have to say the final and grandest way in which God's glory has been revealed to us is through the revelation of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible reveals to us God's glory through instruction and through teaching, but ultimately the Bible is a signpost pointing us to Jesus. Ultimately, the Bible is a door that brings us to Jesus. It is in Jesus that the glory of God is actually found. The Bible teaches us about God's glory. The Bible points us to God's glory. But Jesus wears God's glory. Jesus possesses God's glory. The glory of God proper is found in Jesus Christ. It is centered on Christ. It is is in Christ alone. God is invisible. And there is an eternal gap Between him and his transcendence and us and our little puny creatureliness. But in Jesus Christ, God has bridged the gap. Jesus is the great basket into which God has placed all of his glory that we might be able to partake of it. Jesus is the great well into which God has poured all of his glory that through our relationship with Jesus we might taste of it. Jesus Christ is the glory of God revealed And there is nothing higher And there is nothing more precious And there is nothing more wonderful Than Jesus Christ Amen We're not done yet Two points of application Two points of application We've seen that our God is great in glory He is supremely glorious He is beautiful in every aspect of who he is Now hear this Number one God is the glory of his people. He is the glory of his people. So, in other words, when you become a part of God's people and you are united to God by faith, his glory in some sense becomes yours. In and of ourselves, we have a very limited degree of glory. But the moment we are connected to God, we have something to boast about. And we're not boasting in ourselves. We are only boasting in this, that this God has loved us and this God has made himself known to us. I've talked about it before. We're like the baseball from Walmart now autographed by Derek Jeter. Right, The baseball itself, very limited value. You could get it for $8 at Walmart. But as soon as Derek Jeter puts his autograph on it, suddenly that baseball becomes precious and valuable. In the same way, we, well, in our limited degree of of, of glory, we are not worth anything compared to God. But God has set his stamp upon us. He has made us one with him. He has brought us into the divine relationship with him and his son so that now... His glory is our glory, and we are a part of his, and he is our glory. Let us never boast in our own works. Let us never boast about our own goodness, for then we're just boasting about mere filthy rags. But instead, listen to Jeremiah 9, beginning in verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, excuse me, Psalm 3.3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Can you speak that way tonight? Can you say, God is my glory, and I will not boast about anything that I am or anything that I've done, but only who God is and what he's done for me. Second, let us recognize that our gospel message is about this glorious God. What are we offering to people when we declare to them the gospel? What is at the very heart of the good news? Is it just escape from hell? Is it just the opportunity to walk on streets of gold? Streets of gold sound nice, but I bet streets of gold even get old after a million years. What is the true heart of the good news? 1 Timothy 1 verse 11, Paul uses this wonderful phrase. Listen very carefully. Paul says, in accordance with the gospel, good news, in accordance with the good news of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So he's talking about the gospel and he says it's the gospel or the good news of the glory of the blessed God. What is the gospel? It's a good message about the glory of the blessed God. At the heart of the gospel is good news about glory. Whose glory? God's glory. And what makes heaven heaven? The fact that God is there in his glory. What makes hell hell? The fact that people are shut off forever from being able to rejoice in the glory of God. The gospel is the message. That there is a God of glory, and through Jesus Christ, we can know this God forever. There is nothing better than this. You say, I love my family members, I love my friends, I love my coworkers. I want to care for them, I want to give them the very best. You can't give them better than this. Eternity, experiencing, beholding, savoring, worshipping the glory of God. And they can have it because of Jesus Christ. There is no better news. There is nothing better. That's plenty for tonight. We will pick up next Sunday morning. Let's pray.